0: Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of First Draft. You know, as I was bounding, tripping, whatever I was doing, across uh, the moor where I live, recording episode one of this, as though it were a WhatsApp voice note, um, I didn't have any faith that I'd be on the cusp of double figures. But here we are on the cusp of double figures, still single figures. So let's not anticipate too much. Um, Who knows what will happen between now and next Friday. But uh, I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm I'm, uh, a batsman in cricket, uh, becoming comfortable with the pace of the pitch and the swing and the seam of the ball. uh, And I feel set for... Respectable, if not spectacular, innings. Americans, that probably means nothing to you. I once, I once did the cliched thing of attempting to explain the game of cricket to uh, a bewildered and, frankly, slightly affronted American gentleman at a party the day before a wedding. And I think I was, as I recall, because this is now roughly twenty years ago, I was playing up on that occasion to um, the somewhat over-polite British stereotype. This was in Arizona. And my American friend, I say friend, I didn't know him before, I haven't seen him since, the person I was talking to I think was playing up to his national stereotype in that context of an American, absolutely flabbergasted, at both the inanity and the complexity of the game of cricket Um, why am I telling you about that I've absolutely no clue oh no I do have a clue because I started with a cricketing analogy and and this this is to say Americans um, that will mean nothing to you just go with it it's like the film Tenet don't try and understand it just feel it did you understand the film Tenet did you listen to the warnings repeatedly throughout the film Tenet not to try and understand the film Tenet, the Christopher Nolan film Tenet, that was the only blockbuster to come out during, um, during sort of peak COVID lockdown? Did you, Or did you actually try and apply your brain to, the, to it and become bewildered and confused? Don't write and tell me I don't want to think about Tenet. I just want to feel it as previously advertised. Where am I today, you're asking. Where are you today, Dan? Where are you? You're always somewhere different, except when you repeat locations. Occasionally, that has happened. Where are you today? I'll tell you where I am. I'm in a room with not perfect acoustics for recording, but no wind. Uh, that's, I'm in a room. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the level of, of accuracy you're getting. I'm in the city of Cambridge. And within the city of Cambridge, I'm in Pembroke College. And within Pembroke College, I am in a room, a guest bedroom, a guest bedroom with an ensuite bathroom, which uh, if any of you have been a student or perhaps even a guest at an Oxbridge College, you will know that an ensuite bathroom uh, is the lap of luxury within college accommodation. More often, you'll be sharing a bathroom uh, with several other bedrooms on a corridor or, or a staircase. When I was a student at Pembroke College, Cambridge I matriculated in 1999 so literally a different century Uh, I shared a lavatory and and wash basin with two other other bedrooms or maybe three and a a communal bathroom with stalls containing showers and baths that was shared between two whole staircases so that would have been 18 people It's probably still the same. Um, Anyway, that's not my experience today. My experience today is I'm I'm in a room with an ensuite bathroom with two pieces of of pine furniture, one of them a chest of drawers, one of them uh, a wardrobe with a a large drawer beneath it. There's a plug-in electric heater. Um, There's a relatively luxurious uh, carpet in a... Oh, it's not a mustard yellow by any means, not even a Dijon mustard yellow. Um, But imagine if you were to mix uh, Hellman's or any other counter-bought mayonnaise, shop-bought mayonnaise with a small amount of English mustard. The yellow it would produce is probably the yellow of the carpet. But the centrepiece of the room—well, I'm sitting on a a black leather two-seater sofa. There's uh, a dressing mirror, which I will avail myself of both tonight and tomorrow when I dressed for dinner and and subsequently for lunch. And uh, really the centrepiece of the room is what I can only describe as a four-poster bed. That's right, a four-poster bed. Um, It's not hung with tapestry by any stretch of the imagination. It's a a double bed rather than a king or a queen size, but it's been tidily and neatly made with sheets, I can see, that are embroidered subtly uh, along the, what do we call it, the hem, I suppose, um, with the words Pembroke College in a sort of serif-type font. It has, at uh, my uh, quick count, six pillows, which is probably four more than I'm accustomed to to use. Um, it's it's a modest four-poster bed. Um, and I feel very lucky. I feel very fortunate. That's, that's quite luxurious. This is where I'm staying tonight. Outside me, the, the Pembroke College, one of Cambridge's oldest colleges, the third oldest, and it has some claim to be the oldest, which I'll try and get right. I think we are the oldest college to have existed in its present location with an unbroken charter of foundation. Quite a niche category, but it's nice to be number one, whatever the category might be. I expect this podcast is number one in some chart somewhere. Anyway, Pembroke College was founded in 1347. I'm going to tell you a bit more about that in a minute because it's germane to the theme of this podcast, which I will soon come on to. However, last week, I told you an embarrassing story. No, was it even embarrassing? I told you a story that I'd done something stupid, and I said, hey, tell me if you've done something stupid. And I wasn't really serious, but quite a lot of people told me of the stupid things they've done. Um, so thank you to everybody who told me about stupid things that they've done I think my favourite and I, I don't have my laptop so I can't look through my email and remember who told me this stupid story but thank you person for telling me the stupid story was it you? cells B was it you? it might have been you um, basically drove the car somewhere I think it was a supermarket parked up did the shopping got the bus home Got home, realised the car was missing. Called the police, reported it stolen. Bit a bit embarrassing to remember later, um, but I think managed to dodge the parking fine. So that was that. I think was my favourite um, story of a personal stupidity. So thank you, um, person. I can't remember who sent me that. That little slurp you just heard was. Um, I don't. I don't have the technical facility to mute me slurping drinks. So apologies if you hear some more slurps during the next 22 and a half minutes. Uh, I'm drinking a cup of uh, Nescafe instant coffee. So now you know everything. Absolutely everything. Shall we talk about what we're going to talk about today? Um, Lots of people, and by the way, thank you, all you people. Thank you, all you lovely subscribers. Um, Thank you, all you registered people who get emailed this we're we're nearly at six thousand now um in fact when i just checked the stats before i started recording this i think we were on 5993 so i need seven more subscribers and i've said i'll give a free signed copy i'll mail a free signed copy of powers and thrones my most recent non-fiction book to my six thousandth uh subscriber if you want to be that, but if you're listening to this, you probably can't be that person, can you? I don't think you can. So, but maybe you could tell a friend of yours to subscribe and then when they get the book, they could give it to you. That's a, that would be something you could do. Um, anyway, so thank you to all the subscribers who left comments last week and left comments this week on the, uh, the thread about who's your favourite woman from history. Uh, lots of people wanted me to do a podcast about um, great women from history because it's Women's History Month. And this week on, what was it, one day this week, it was Women's History Day. I've had a really, wi- a really weird week. Like some super dark stuff has happened that I don't really want to talk about and some super awesome stuff has happened that I also don't really want to talk about uh, and some middling normal stuff has happened but trust me it's been a weird week and I'm mildly disoriented about the, what's happened on which day so apologies for not remembering which day was International Women's History Day but it's International Women's History Month and that's what matters um, yeah so what was I talking about? Thank you to everybody who uh, who asked for that as a as a, a topic for the podcast. And thank you to everybody who contributed to the thread of Who's Your Favourite Woman in History. I'm, going to re- I'm just going to read out some of your uh, nominations because there were some super cool ones with loads of awesome detail. Um, if you got the subscriber-only thread post thing on Wednesday, you'll have seen that I nominated uh, a picture by Rocky Van der Weyden, the fifteenth um, century Flemish artist or oh, which is just called portrait of a woman it 's my fav- i think it 's my favorite i think it 's my favorite portrait full stop um, and if you want to go back and read the post, go back and read the post and i explain why uh, and favorite doesn 't imply that necessarily approval, but I think there was something amazing about that picture which tells us about enduring standards certainly in the west of um of female beauty and attitudes towards female beauty the male gaze on female beauty and the distortions um laid over women's appearance um in pursuit of quote-unquote beauty by artists which has endured since at least the renaissance and probably before uh, all the way to kind of magazine culture of the tw- late 20th century and instagram TikTok blah-de-blah, social media bollocks, uh, filter culture of the early 21st. Anyway, go read my post if you want to see a bit more about that. Um, but as I, as I arrived here, where I am today, at Pembroke College, Cambridge, I thought there's another, there's another great woman from history who indirectly, uh, and although this isn't really the point, um, sort of forged my life. You know, a, a woman who I'm interested by, and who made a material difference to the world in a way that has shaped my own life. Those are two kind of cool things. And, uh, and that woman, who I'll just tell you a bit about now, was the foundress of Pembroke College, Cambridge, and her name was Marie de Saint-Paul. She was Countess of Pembroke, hence the name Pembroke College. She lived in the 14th century, and she was the uh, second wife of a nobleman called Aima de Valence, um, who, if you know your Edward II reign, you'll know that Emma de Valence was Earl of Pembroke. Uh, you'll know that at the time that Edward II was beefing with his earls and uh, with, particularly with his cousin, um, Thomas of Lancaster, you'll know that Pembroke was on the side of the earls against Edward II and his favourite, Piers Gaveston. But Pembroke was also... Excuse me, I'm going to cough... <coughs> was also entrusted uh, with looking after Piers Gaveston after he was captured by the earls and, or the lords, or and uh, he failed to protect Gaveston. And Gaveston was beheaded, and Pembroke then moved back towards Edward II um, for most of the remainder of his life. And, well, all of the remainder of his life was Edward II's reign. Now, Marie de Saint-Paul... Married the Earl of Pembroke when he was quite old and she was pretty young. Uh, she was st- late teen, 17, I think. Um, her husband was killed and she inherited a lot of wealth from him. She had a lot of wealth her own in the first place. Uh, and later in her life, in 1347, she was granted a charter by Edward III. By now, Edward II was dead and been deposed and replaced by his son, Edward III. Edward III granted her a charter to found a House of Scholars at Cambridge, and, you know, that is what we now call a college, and those scholars were allowed to attend the university, and um, Pembroke was... or It wasn't called Pembroke initially, but it soon after was. Um, That made it the third of the Cambridge Colleges, or well, certainly the third oldest. You've got Peterhouse and Johns are older, Pembroke's the third oldest. And of course, as I've already explained, it has its own niche category of oldness. Anyway, um, in the hall here at Pembroke, where one dines, uh, at high table if you're a fellow, or at one of the lower tables if you're not, Um there is a a rather wonderful portrait of Marie de Saint-Paul and one of the courtyards is called Foundress Court and really her legacy and her name um, is is an important part of this college's identity. So hooray, hooray for uh, Marie de Saint-Paul, Countess of Pembroke because she founded the college where I studied and yeah that's not the greatest thing she did i mean we can't just see her greatness through the prism of uh, my insignificant life i mean i can but you don't have to that's what i'm saying okay right enough about me momentarily uh let's <laughs> let's hear from you guys so thank you again to all the subscribers who posted on the thread this Wednesday, or Tuesday, or whatever it was, Uh, when I asked for... The specific question I I asked was, do you have a favourite medieval woman, or a favourite image of a medieval... Do you know what? As I read these, answers are yours. That's me throwing my coat on the floor. I'm going to lie on this four-poster bed, and relax. Because, I tell you what, my lower back is tweaking slightly. I did a possibly too ambitious yoga class earlier. Uh, and somewhere between the headstands and shoulder stands and handstands and series of twists and, uh, super ninja flying lotuses. Think I've tweaked my lower, my lower lumbar. Anyway, I'm now lying on a four poster bed, fully clothed. Just, just to, to keep things in order. Let's start with Kim Whelan. Here's, I'm going to read Kim Whelan's comment in full because it's a dope comment. Kim Whelan says, you know, I wonder how many medieval badass women there were that we've never heard of. The wives, mothers, sisters, daughters, lovers. that weren't royal, noble or in the right place at the right time. I'm sure just as today the strongest women were the ones that persevered in day-to-day life through sickness, poverty, ugly husbands and bad ale. Brackets, not to mention ungrateful offspring. I'd like to think they're the reason the women of today are as amazing as we are, exclamation mark, just my two cents and another exclamation mark to finish us off. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? I think, there's, I think that's, rather, that's rather nice. I think that's rather sweet. Uh, that's not a patronising uh, reaction to it, I hope. I think that um, I think a lot of people have expressed versions of that sentiment when I've asked this question over the last couple of months. In, sorry, I have really just have to twist my back out. You may have heard a click there. Um, I've heard lots of people express versions of this sentiment over the last couple of months, um, which is to say that history is full of famous names, and that's the history, whether we're studying men or women or children... ...or great events or whatever, whatever. But actually, uh, the reality of life... ...is that by many, many orders of magnitude... Uh, ...the people who, who demonstrate heroism and courage and bravery... ...and, uh, and all the skills and, and attributes that we admire in other humans... ...and from which we aspire to learn and better ourselves that these are demonstrated day to day by people we've never heard of we will never hear of that may have left no record whatsoever um to be traced or that have left such a such a small imprint on the historical record that no one will ever take an interest are those lives inconsequential well, in one sense, yes, they are, if, if we're applying a, a very narrow historical definition of what makes somebody worthy of study. But on the other hand, if, if, we, take, if we take a different view of history, which is to say that uh, history is constantly being made and unmade and remade... And like a sort of tide lapping on a beach, could there be a more cliched analogy? Uh, things are being uncovered and then covered up again that um, there are all of the there are many 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 more lives of great consequence and nobility, or by the same token uh, great consequence and ignobility than we will ever know. Anyway, thank you, Kim Wheeland, for that uh, that that poignant and uh, well expressed comment, and thank you to everybody who has uh, who's also expressed similar similar sentiments. Alison Taylor Brown says Julian of Norwich, and that's all Alison Taylor Brown says. Um, yeah, big up Julian of Norwich enormous big ups to Julian of Norwich. I don't know a lot about Julian of Norwich. Um, The person who knows a lot about Julian of Norwich is Nina Ramirez. She's really into uh, Julian of Norwich. I just like the fact that Julian of Norwich was called Julian because I'm (laughs) I've nearly I've nearly completed reading the famous five stories by Enid Blyton to my eldest daughter. No sorry my middle daughter. My eldest daughter's no interest whatsoever. Uh, We've read Twenty twenty and a half out of the twenty-one famous five stories by Enid Blyton, and of course the priggish and really quite annoying uh, and infuriatingly um, patriarchal, <laughs> very sexist <laughs> and um, and quite toadyish in uh, in that he's a, a, a mad snitch, always running off to the police. Uh, eldest child in the famous five is called Julian. Um, and I can't think of Julian of Norwich without thinking, without investing Julian of Norwich uh, as <laughs> a mystic and writer and thinker and proto-feminist um, heroine if you really, really want her to be, I suppose. Uh, I can't help but think of her as Julian from The Famous Five. That's super childish. That's not the sort of thing that, uh, that makes me a, a good person or a, a good historian, but it's true, and I prefer truth to posturing, so there you go. Um, Jennifer Tidwell takes it on a painting tip. Jennifer Tidwell says, I have two paintings that really speak to me. I'm a fan of the birth of Venus or anything Botticelli did. She's perfection. The oversaturated pastel colour schemes are a favourite. I'm also fond of Leonardo da Vinci's Lady with an Ermine. The illumination of her face is breathtaking. Well, I'm glad you mentioned old Leonardo. As um, subscribers will know... I did a, a post about Leonardo this week because I went to an exhibition in a gallery called uh, Unit London. I think it's called Unit, or well, maybe just Unit, but it's in London. It's in just off Hanover Square in the West End, and it's. Uh, I've written about it at, at actually a reasonable length, um, so you can you can go if you're a subscriber, you can go through the archive and read that. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, you can subscribe and go through the archive and read that. But I went to see. It's an exhibition. There's only, what is it, six paintings um, from Italian art galleries that have been digitised and are shown in digital reproduction in this gallery. Um, One of them wasn't Lady with an Ermine. It was Head of a Woman, as it's normally known in English. Um, And you can get right up close, and they've replicated the frames in which the paintings hang in the Italian galleries. You can get right up close, and you can really, really, like, get your face in these Leonardo's, or two of them are Leonardo's of the six that are exhibited, uh, in a way that you possibly wouldn't be able to if you went to the gallery where the real painting hangs. Um, But I had some reservations about, A, whether this is really uh, even vaguely the same as actually looking... At the actual Leonardo, uh, and then I had some major reservations about other things to do with the digital art market. But if you if you are into that sort of thing, go read it. Thank you, Jennifer Tidwell, uh, for your nominations of great medieval paintings of women. Michelle Marmelo Pedro says she always loved the Birth of Venus too. Carly Gibson, what has Carly Gibson got to say? Always been partial to Lady Jane Grey her portrait in the national portrait gallery shows such a strong young woman in spite of the fact that she was being manipulated by everyone in her life she always tried to do what she felt was the right thing um yeah well lady jane gray very interesting story i think you're right i think i think quite a quite a sad is it a tragic story i don't even know that it's a tragedy because she doesn't really do anything to to if within the definition of tragedy there must be action um, and agency in your central character which brings upon that character catastrophe, is that a good working definition definition of tragedy? I think it might be. I don't even think we can call Lady Jane Grey tragic. She's just, uh, she's just a goddamn victim, um, not in a bad way but wasn't wasn't great was it sad story sad sad story i'm going to suspend uh, my use of tragic here um hmm good book on lady jane gray uh, in fact all 3 of the gray sisters by leander de check that out peter says i was an extra in lady jane that's uh, that's a movie 1986 film starring Helena Bonham Carter, Cary Elwes, and Patrick Stewart, but I don't think I've said Kerry. Let's move on. Peter was an extra in that film. Uh, and he says, I agree, she seems to be nobody's fool and to have a strength of character beyond her years. Well, maybe, in that case, there is an element of tragedy in this story. What's Gareth Pritchard got to say? Hello, Gareth Pritchard. My favourite medieval woman is my 16th great-grandmother, Elizabeth Woodville, via her marriage to Sir John Grey. I love her story, everything she witnessed, loved and lost, in some ways ahead of her time. 16th great-grandmother, eh? That's good stuff. (sighs) Hmm. Catherine Swinford's getting some love from Caitlin Stiver and Kate Barnes. Uh... Jazz Bell wants to big up Eleanor of Aquitaine, Margaret Tudor, and Margaret Beaufort. Um, but Jazz Bell is also reading Anne Baer's Medieval Women. And, I, and she says, I think my favorite medieval women are the regular ladies in villages, raising children in poverty, losing children due to inhospitable conditions. Inhospitable, yeah. Hmm. Working full days, caring for animals, farming, cooking, and feeding the husbands. Well, yep. Yes, very good. Um, that's, again, noble, as we started out with. It's the unsung women from history who who maybe we should be giving the biggest big ups to. Um, what are the other nominations coming in? Grant Hayter Menzies says, Elizabeth of Hungary, daughter of King Andrew II of Hungary, wife of Ludwig IV of Thuringia, mother of... Has that got a hard G? Thuringia? That's a word I don't say often enough to be completely confident about its pronunciation. Thuringia, Thuringia. I probably read it in the Powers and Thrones audiobook. It's pro- when I read it, we probably had to stop the tape and find out whether it was a hard or soft G, and now I've forgotten. God damn it. Anyway, put that aside. Uh, Elizabeth of Hungary, says Grant Hayter Menzies, was mother of my ancestor Sophia of Hessen. Sophie of Hessen, sorry. And Saint... Even today, the daughter of a king, giving up rank and fortune to nurse the poor, sick and dying, would instantly make the social media top 40. But in her day, Elizabeth's life-altering compassion was considered proof of insanity. Ah, that is unfortunate. Uh, But she wasn't crazy, she just cared. Quote, we must make people happy, end quote, was her credo. Proud to have her blood in my veins, and her example inspires me. Yeah, we must make people happy. I'm super down with that. I try every day to make people happy. It's just that I don't succeed. But I'm not going to stop trying. Probably. Uh, Shana Meyer says, Margaret Beaufort's my favourite. Amanda Chard takes on an art tip. I adore The Lady of Shallot by John William Waterhouse. It's a late 19th century painting. Totally stunned me, says Amanda, every time I've seen it. Um... Roseanne is uh, big into Brunhilde, and Roseanne says, well, let's read this. Since childhood, says Roseanne, I've been fascinated by Brunhilde, <laughs> and, and why my grandfather always named his donkeys Brunhilde. A recent book by Shelley Puhak increased my respect and fascination even more. Well... I'm fascinated by this grandfather who always named his donkeys Brunhilde. I mean, a grandfather that once named a donkey Brunhilde. That's one thing. Even that I've never heard of. But a grandfather who routinely always named his donkeys Brunhilde. That's mental. Uh, That book by Shelley Puak is good. I've got that book. In fact... I've said something nice about that book on the cover of on the back cover of that book. It's called Dark Queens. You should go and get it if you're into early medieval Queens. You should go and get it right now. Stop listening to this and go and get Dark Queens by Shelley Puhack right. Goddamn now. That's double blasphemy. I think most I think some of you will know this already. But if you unsubscribe to this, to uh, uh, to history, etc. If you unsubscribe, you have to give a reason why you're unsubscribing, and I see that reason. But I think people don't know maybe that I do see that reason because uh, some of the when people do unsubscribe, and mercifully it doesn't happen that often. When people do unsubscribe, <laughs> I've got a little table, and it just tells me why they're unsubscribing. Um, and people seem to be quite frank in their, in their, why am I unsubscribing? So I think people just don't believe that when they type into this box on the internet, it eventually goes to a human. But anyway, uh, my favorite reason for unsubscribing, um, I, I, God knows who it was, but their reason was just constant blasphemy. That's all they put, constant blasphemy. <laughs> oh god i've liked that for a long time anyway i I know some of you know this already but some of you don't uh i'm trying not to swear and blaspheme very much on this I'm, i'm trying like uh like your man says at the end of pulp fiction i'm trying ringo i'm trying real hard he then goes on to say, uh, "I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd," but I like to clip the quote before you get to that bit. Oh my God, I've gone over time, um, and I've got to go move my car because I parked in parking in Cambridge. For those of you who don't know, sucks ass. Oh God, I said I wasn't going to swear. Um, parking in Cambridge is uh, is difficult at the best of times, and I've parked on a space near college, but I can only park there for two hours. And most of that two hours is now up. So I've got to leave college, go get my car, park it somewhere else. And then two hours later, do the same thing again. That's annoying. But hey, listen, before you go, I'm, uh, I'm going to tell you one more story. And we're going to return. This is just to, re- this is t- to, s- to seal off the theme of uh, embarrassing or dumb stuff that's happened, right? I'll tell you this and then I'm going to go because I do have to move my car, as I've already made plain. I know you don't care, but I have to do I care and I can say what I want. Okay, so not the last time I was at Pembroke, but a few years ago, I came up to college and for one reason or another, Excuse me. <clears throat> I had one of my children with me. And for one reason or another, we had a cup of tea with the master of college, who's an extremely nice guy. And my daughter, I think, was, I don't know, nine or ten at the time. Um, and the master and I were having a, uh, a grown-up conversation you know, we're talking about politics and, and ting. And my daughter uh, was, I could see she was a little restless. She, she didn't have much to say about about British politics at that time. She's got a little more to say about it now. But put that aside, that's not the point. Right. So we're sitting having this conversation. And as we're talking, I can hear a sort of, like a, a rustling, kind of scratching noise in the Master's Lodge, which is the house that the master of the college lives in very 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 beautiful house i can hear it and i don't know what it is and the master says to my daughter he says oh hey um you hear so in a minute uh somebody's somebody's coming that i think you're going to like and my daughter's like huh okay cool but i'm thinking oh no from that from the noise i can hear this is this is terrible because i think it's a dog i think he's talking about a dog i think a dog's going to come in the room and little does the master know, my daughter's afraid of dogs. And this could be a scene. There could even be an upset coffee cup. She's quite At that time, she was quite scared of dogs. So I'm on edge, right? And the rustling gets a bit louder. Uh, and the anticipation's building. And then into the room bounds <gasps> Sir Ian McKellen, weirdly. Who'd <laughs> been staying the night with the master, right? Uh, you know, the great actor and Ian McKellen comes in and I'd very briefly done like done, done some charity work with Ian McKellen like six months prior to this and I said hey nice to see you again and he looks a bit blank and was like uh, oh yeah hi um, anyway he sits down he's having a cup of tea or coffee I forget and um, we, we carry on the, the grown-ups conversation and oh uh, no I can see my daughter's bored again so I try to involve her in the conversation, and I say, uh, now, Ian, my daughter here is, uh, is, is very interested in film, would one day like to be a film director. And he goes, oh, great, yeah, he's, he's a nice guy. He's like, cool. Uh, only in his voice, not mine. And I said to my daughter to try and bring her into the conversation, I said, um, and Violet, you know Sir Ian here is one of the greatest actors alive, uh, and, and she oh no, she doesn't know who he is, so she looks at him like totally blank. And uh, I had to try and jog her along. I'm like, you know, in one of your favourite films? And she's like still looking. And so I need I mean I need to give her a big clue. I say, Harry Potter And Serene McKellen looks at me quite sharply and he says, That was Michael Gambon huh? And for some reason. I'm quite tense and I decide to argue the toss I'm like no it wasn't and he goes well it definitely was I said no it wasn't you you know you were the the, uh, the, the, the wizard guy in Harry Potter and he's really shaking his head he's like that was Michael Gambon and he sort of takes a deep breath and he looks at my daughter and he goes Lord of the Rings? well she's never heard of Lord of the Rings Um, and uh, totally blank look on her face And after that, it was all quite awkward because I started apologising unbelievably and way too much. And he started pretending he wasn't, like, peeved by it, which I think he was. And shortly after that, our little meeting broke up and we all went our separate ways. And that, as they say, is fucking true. All right, constant blasphemy and now quite severe swearing. Um, Apologies for that. It's probably time... I've probably got a parking ticket by now... So let me just finish by saying big up all your subscribers. Uh, Big up everybody else listening. Please do subscribe because it helps, you know, it helps me do this thing. Which, frankly, I wouldn't do for free. (laughs) (laughs) Let's be honest. Uh, So please, uh, please, if you can, do subscribe. It really, 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 really helps me. Um, And I guess I'll see you next week double digits number 10 what are we going to talk about who knows that's the beauty of doing something as freewheeling and yet as joyful as history etc all right cats i'll see you on the flip